NL West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope ex-prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield, mad skills, lottie dottie, Austin Hedges throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the pod, and watch out for the kids, EBT is out here broadcasting, EBT is out here podcasting, question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them, question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them, Padres EBT Podcast. Padres EBT Podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times Podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as usual, is the colorful Patrick Brewer. Oh, man, more like the sweaty Patrick Brewer. It is hot. The, the, the dank and musky Patrick Brewer. It is warm. I am melting yeah, in here. It is warm. It is warm. Uh, Greetings, folks. Thank you for joining us. Uh, episode 44 here. Uh, we have a special guest. Uh, Casey Boguslaw is going to join us uh, shortly. Uh, we're going to talk about some barrel fip, uh, which is a stat that he created, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, Patrick, give us a little bit about the, the barrel fip stat and, and a little bit on Casey. Yeah, it's not often that one of your uh, actual good buddies creates a stat that is actually getting some good really good attention uh, around the around the baseball uh, blogosphere and, and Twitter. So kind of cool. Um, anyway... Casey's big into StatCast. Um, he, he's, he was kind of, right, right when Barrels were introduced, he was kind of big onto those and always talking about them. Um, I actually met Casey, well, I guess I haven't formally met Casey, but uh, we've written for a few different uh, websites together. We both write for RO Baseball. Um, he created Barrel FIP, which uses a similar um, equation to FIP, which FIP is fielding independent pitching. So it's trying to um, strip out the fielding from, from the pitcher's results. So it's trying to get at just what the pitcher can control, so home runs, strikeouts, walks, the like. So what Casey did with barrel FIP is instead of using home runs as that um, part of the equation, he, he put barrels instead. So barrels include not just home runs, but also some fly ball outs, uh, some doubles. So he's attempting to kind of get a better idea of, of which pitchers are, are good and which pitchers are bad by this standard. Because at this point, I mean, it's been well established that, that good good contact is really the key to hitter success. So barreling the ball, um, hitting the ball hard with the right angle. Obviously, we've seen like the launch angle revolution where yeah. guys like Yonder Alonso are, are hitting more fly balls than ever before and they're having great yeah. success with it. He's kind of like the poster child of that this year. So yeah, Definitely. Casey's trying to get a better idea of, of which guys are succeeding, both offensively and on the mound, too, which pitchers are, are limiting uh, hard contact. Um, I, I like I like what he's doing because you, you get guys that you don't really hear about. If you talk about normal like FIP or ERA calculations, there's mm-hmm. some guys on the, on his list that kind of stand out. So like someone like Jimmy Nelson of, of Milwaukee who just shut down the Padres, what was that, yesterday, I think. He was on the mound, right? Yes, um, yes, yeah. yes. He's a guy who hasn't gotten much national attention, but, but he's getting a little more attention, I guess, at least from Casey, so... Yeah, so that, yeah, no. Casey's just trying to get a better idea of uh, just a better way to evaluate players based on uh, contact. So it's really good what he's doing. He's doing a lot of great work. Um, give him a follow on Twitter. He's, he tweets he tweets out his his updates every day, every morning. He he updates his stats. Um, he, he usually does top twenty five and bottom twenty five uh, in barrel fit, and he also does uh, sometimes he'll do team by team looks. So we'll get a little more into the Padres and how they look in terms of barrel fit. But he's doing a lot of great work. So give him a follow uh, at Casey Bogoslaw on Twitter. For sure, for sure. Sadly, we'll get uh, some of the Padres' numbers, which are a little alarming, if if you will, but it is what is expected. But it's nice to have a new way to measure, uh, you know, 
statistics, if you will, because you know the game's ever evolving, and there's there's definitely new ways to to kind of measure both a pitcher and a batter's worth, and, and it's it's cool. It'll be nice to talk to, to Casey. But um, on to our Padres right now. Currently, uh, they are battling the Cubs, um, coming off a, a tough series in Milwaukee. The ball really seemed to be flying in Milwaukee. Uh, Padre pitchers had trouble keeping the batters at bay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Milwaukee, Patrick, and what you saw from the Padre pitching staff. Can we just say that, that Will Myers just got a walk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Will Myers, he was, he was good this weekend, actually. I'll, I'll give him that. Two home runs. Uh, looked a little better at the plate. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully it's a sign of things to come. He's been a little quiet tonight, but... I'm hoping for the best. I wrote about him this morning, so we'll see if if that maybe triggers him. I know you're the guy with the with the golden hand, but yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see uh, how he does. Yeah, but the Padres, um, a lot of home runs this weekend. Uh, if if you didn't think the ball was juiced before the weekend, I think you got to think the ball's juiced now, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think serious. the Padres hit about what did they hit like ten home runs this weekend? It seems like and I think, I think Bre- it was seventeen between the yeah. I think the, the Brewers hit like eight or nine too. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was pretty crazy between both teams hitting a lot of home runs. Um, Padre pitching wasn't too bad. I mean, obviously there were some home run balls. Lamette had a really solid start. Uh, Perdomo pitched a pretty great great outing yesterday. Obviously got the tough luck loss, which has been a, a common theme for him. Uh, I'm actually writing about him currently. Uh, piece should be up tomorrow morning uh, on his season so far. But, yeah, it was a good good all-around weekend for the Padres. I mean, obviously they lost two or three, but a lot of good offense. Uh, both Lament and Pernomo made some good strides on the mound. So I think it was a good result, uh, all things considered. Definitely. You know, it's that kind of season, and we're just going to have to look for positive things like that and little things within each series. I mean, we're not a playoff competitive team at this point, but there are things to be uh, – positive about uh you know let's talk a little bit about trade value and and uh and establishing that obviously uh a lot of fans including myself would be sad to see Jan Hervis Solarte traded but his value is obviously on the rise now is that something that you think the team would uh go about pursuing or are they you know did they sign him long term thinking that they're going to build around him yeah I'm not sure I guess what the likelihood of trading Solarte is, but I was tweeting a little about him earlier. He's having a pretty solid month of June. Um, if I remember correctly, I think his WRC Plus was at 157. Uh, that was going in tonight. He's obviously out on a home run tonight, a double tonight. He hit, what, three home runs over the weekend. So yeah, he's been he's been hot, and, and he's a guy that could fetch some trade value. There's plenty of teams around there looking for third base help, or, or could be looking for third base help. Um, obviously, Boston Red Sox have, have had a bit of a black hole there. Uh, Chase Headley's been struggling for the Yankees. Um, J.J. Hardy in Baltimore is hurt, so they might shift Machado to short if they can get some help at third. So there's three teams all in one division who could be bidding for Solarte's uh, help. Um, he may not be a high-end type trade ship, but I think with his recent performance, he's a guy that could fetch a decent value. But but like you said, is that a guy you want to trade? I mean, he's got some good value on the team as well. He's a good team leader. Um, he's good off the field. He's obviously been through a lot personally in the last year. Um, so yeah, he's a good guy. So I, I'd hate to see him go, but if, if the, the value is right, then I say they're, maybe they do it. So we'll have to see. Yeah, there's definitely a fine line because he does provide a lot, um, within the team as far as leadership and, and mentoring a lot of the young Latino players. So, but then again, this team is not built to win now or next season. So having a player like that kind of lose value is is not 
is not good for the long term of the team. And you know, if they if he can fetch a, a decent prospect or two, then sadly, I think that the, the AJ probably will pull the trigger. I mean, it, it is what it is. We have to. We have to keep the course going the same way. We can't. You just can't get sentimental with players or with positions or, or, or what or what what you have. You you have to just do what's right. And I, I think that in the long run, that will be beneficial for the team. Yeah, if he keeps raking for the next three weeks, I think um, they have to at least consider trading him. Uh, I don't know if they're actually going to, but it's got to be a consideration. They got to be fielding offers. Um, yeah. Although another yeah. news, I guess Austin Hedges is, has left the game after that slide. So. Hopefully he'll be all right. Yeah, the Patrick and I had a little discussion about that dirty slide uh, that we witnessed, uh, I guess, uh, Monday uh, evening in, in Chicago. Uh, Anthony Rizzo took out uh, Austin Hedges on a play at home, which was not necessary. He, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of, of the, you know, baseball gods or, or what's a, what have you trying to step in and, and – save the game or change the game that, that's been the same way for 150 years and it's really making things difficult. I, I don't think either side knows what the true rules are regarding sliding at home or what's needed to, to protect the safety of the catchers. I mean, I'm fine with not having collisions at home play. I think those were unnecessary because you're having guys get blatantly injured, but at this point, you have to have some defined rule because we saw over the weekend that the Padres got... Um, the catcher blocked the ball, the blocked the plate at home, and, and the, they were called out, and they challenged the play, and obviously it, it stayed out even though the plate was blocked. So if the catcher is allowed to block the plate and the batters or the runner's not allowed to, I guess, run through them, you have to have a better defined rule. And then here you had Hedges obviously not blocking the plate, and the runner still went for him. And we don't know if the, the umpire would have called him out regardless because obviously he was out because Hedges held on the ball. So we don't know if he would have been out either way, but yeah, you got to yeah. at least consider – maybe he wouldn't have been out. So the, the rule is really just confusing. I think it's a necessary rule. You don't want guys getting – you can't have a guy sitting still and getting plowed over by a guy running full speed. That's just not – it's just not feasible. I mean, this isn't football. I know catchers wear full gear, but it's still just an unnecessary part of the game that, that needed to be changed. Obviously, the, the Posey injury necessitated that change. But at this point, you have to have a more defined rule that, that can be easily enforced and enforced uh, uniformly throughout the game. And also, yeah. the game is now tied. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, yes, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, what can I say? The tank the tank game is strong. Even even against the Cubs, the tank game is but strong. But Clayton Richard, man, we need to talk about him. Even with the home run he just gave up, he has been pitching well lately. Um, he's, his FIP is around three for the mm-hmm. month. Um, over his last, I think, 26, 27 innings, he's been really solid. I mean, he's not a guy that strike out a lot of guys. He, he's limiting walks, though. He's limiting yep. base runners. He, he's getting the job done. He's preserving the bullpen more than anything. I mean, he's so. I, wait, I wait. Let only... me stop. Let me let me stop you right there. Do you think that Clayton Richard has trade value? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not okay. like going to return. It's not like Drew Pomeranz for Anderson Espinosa. No, mean, no, of course but not. I but... think a back end twenty twenty one through thirty prospect is, is definitely possible from someone's farm system. I mean, look at Melvin Upton last year. He returned uh, Hansel Rodriguez, who is more of a back end thirty type. Uh, I think at the Padres, I think he sits either 28, 29, 30, somewhere in that range. So he's not really a, a top prospect, but it's a lottery ticket type of guy. And I think those are the guys you need to collect because those are the guys you can hit on. I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but look at the James yeah. Shields trade. We got Fernando Tatis, who everyone thought was so overrated, <laughs> and now he's a hot ticket item. So we'll, yeah. we'll obviously poke fun at Casey a little bit there because yeah. he's a White Sox <laughs> he's... fan, for those who don't know. But 
<laughs> no, you know, I mean, I agree. there's prospects to be had. I mean, speaking of which, the, the Padres claimed um, left-handed pitcher Dylan Overton uh, from the uh, Mariners uh, this afternoon and uh, DFA'd uh, Zach Lee, who was someone who I, a lot of Padre fans had high hopes for. I, I don't, I can't remember what your thoughts on Lee were. Were you, uh, were you waiting for Lee to, to blossom in the Padres system? No, he was just kind of a guy I expected to see. Um, he probably, honestly, I think he would have been up instead mm-hmm. of Lamette if um, he wasn't if he injured was during that time yeah. because they needed a pitcher. And it turns out that Lamette was really the, the best option at that, at that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he wasn't really much. He was just kind of there. Um, no. Although I yeah. kind of expected them. I know Tyrell Jenkins isn't on the 40-man roster, but he's been really mm-hmm. poor this year in AAA, and I'm not really sure what they see there, what they're trying to to build with him. So yeah. he's, he's another guy I thought they might release, but I guess at this point he's not in the 40 man. So there's really, there's really no harm in having him just continue to, like, I guess maybe work it out if that's what they're going for. But yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, Overton gives them obviously more upside. I mean, he was, I mean, he was, uh, I think that with a 13th highest, uh, 13th rated prospect on the Mariners uh, top 30, they, they have um, a weaker system. Yeah, I'm not really saying much. Their system's kind yeah, of they're terrible. Exactly. But, I mean, exactly. Their system is really bad. But, yeah, I mean, he's coming off Tommy John surgery in 2014. His velocity's down. He reportedly has a pretty decent changeup. I think being left-handed in itself provides more value than, than obviously, than they could get for Zach Lee and, and the fact that they didn't have to put him on the 25-man roster as well. So, you know, it's it's a win-win situation. Well, I mean, yeah. Dylan Overton's not going to save the Padres by any means, but it's it's another small acquisition that's worth noting. It's the guy to have in the in the AAA in the AAA level, and just in case you need another starter, it's always good to have those kind yeah. of guys. Yeah, for sure. And, and the Padres are uh, slowly uh, signing their draft picks from this month. Uh, there, you said there was a signing this uh, this morning. Can you take us into that for a little bit? Yeah, it was, it was Kate, announced. Kading signed today. Yeah, it was announced like forty minutes ago. I think it was Jim Callis that tweeted. Okay. Let me let me find the tweet so I'm not um, talking out of my ASS. <laughs> uh, yeah, fourth rounder Sam Keating signs with Padres for nine hundred thousand. Uh, that okay. slot value that was pick one hundred eight. The value was four ninety seven, so about double what it was. Yeah. What the value was. Um, he yeah. Was Florida high school right hander. For those who don't know, throws about ninety ninety four. Solid slider has some feel for a changeup. So he's he's got three pitches he has some feel for. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy they're probably going to try as a starter. Um, he was a guy I kind of figured would be over slot, um, simply because he's a high schooler and he could have theoretically gone to college. I believe he already had an offer in hand. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's a guy that, um, like I said, he's a guy that was was going to go over slot. Um, I, I like the signing. It, it, it's it's going to make maybe things harder a little bit because now they got whatever, 400000 less dollars to spend elsewhere, but I think they'll make it work, and they, they have everything planned out, so I won't speak for, for sure. them. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, slowly, uh, but surely we'll see those signings coming in. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see which of them go undervalue and which of them go overvalue. I mean, there's rumors out there that the the team really wants to sign Daniel Cabrera, a young high school outfielder who's committed to LSU, and um, mm-hmm. it seems really committed to LSU. I mean, I've, he would have been drafted in the first couple of rounds if it wasn't for his strong commitment. So it remains to be seen if AJ Pro will be able to work his magic on him. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't look likely cause they're going to have to throw a lot of money at him. And it, you know, I, I don't know what the situation is, but it's, it's interesting to see that they went after high 
ceiling talent and they acquired him in many different ways and you know hopefully here and there they'll be able to sign uh, some of these guys yeah our friends at mad friars tweeted out earlier that 14 guys from the Padres draft were at the uh, mini camp in peoria so i'm wow. expecting to hear a little more in the coming days about guys that have signed um this is the time that most are going to sign I think the deadline isn't for another almost month. I believe it's like mid July, although I don't know yeah. if there's a set date. Or I don't know the I think, set date, I should say. Yeah, I think it was twenty first, somewhere last, around last there. Last year I believe it was the fifteenth, but I don't think it's a set okay. um I don't think it's a set like number. So Yeah, so you know, they have plenty of time and, and these signings will come in slowly and, and we'll definitely keep you advised of those. Um all right, thank you folks uh, for joining us. Uh we will be back shortly. Uh, with Casey Boguslaw to talk a little uh, barrel flip and some advanced analytics. And uh, both him and Patrick will educate us uh, that definitely need the education on uh, (laughs) such aspects of the game. Uh, Thank you so much, folks. Episode 44, sponsored by Original Grain Watches. Uh, Check them out. OriginalGrain.com is the website. Uh, Fantastic watch company, local, made in San Diego. Uh, we'll definitely uh, be hyping them up uh, in our next couple podcasts, and uh, we'll hope to have a beautiful relationship built with them. Uh, check them out, OriginalGrain.com. Welcome back, folks. Thank you for joining us on episode 44 of the podcast. Uh, with us is Casey Boguslaw of RO Baseball, who's uh, going to educate us all on the barrel FIP stat. Uh, Casey, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be on here. Yeah, it's Not nice to finally have you on, uh, Casey. I know I've been talking to James for a while about, about getting you on here to, to educate us a little bit. <laughs> all right, so sure. why don't we uh, start by talking about barrels, uh, maybe explain to the viewers... Uh, what a barrel is, uh, what it's trying to measure, kind of a better idea. I know I've been trying to explain it to some people here and there, but I, th- I think you're a, a bit of the guru on it. So go ahead and give us a, a rundown here. Oh, well, well, thanks for that introduction, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> barrel is really, it, it's like the purest, the purest hit that you can get. Uh, and how it came to be was the StatCast data that's now at our fingertips, uh, you know, gives us the exit velocity, which is just a fancy way of saying speed off the bat, and then we can also read the angle off the bat now. So, you know, speed seems like the most important thing to come off the bat. You want to hit it hard, which, of course, does have its importance, but if you're hitting it hard every single time directly into the ground or if you're hitting it hard, you know, straight up in the air, that's not going to give you... That's not going to get you a base hit. So uh, you want to make sure that you're perfecting your angle as well. So, you know, there's kind of a sweet spot that's... uh, uh, it's about around like uh, 25 to 30 degrees, basically, is the easiest way to say it. And that's where kind of barrels start. Uh, and it, the 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 speed point starts at 98 miles per hour. But you're you're talking about you know triple digits off the bat in that 26 to 30 degree angle. Uh, and basically, what that leads to, and what uh, the uh, fellows over at MLB Advanced Media, uh, what they wanted to do was find uh, pretty much. A, a combination of speed and angle that will get you a guaranteed hit, and they called it a barrel, which I thought was a very creative name and a, a cool sounding name because it's uh, anyone that's played baseball knows when you hit it off the barrel, you know you don't feel it. You know it it, it feels it gives you that sweet feeling of, of nothingness. Um, so, like I said, they wanted to just make sure they wanted to get a, a spectrum of hits at least half the time but it turned out to be the, uh, when it was all said and done and the numbers they picked 
Uh, it's about a batting average of 800 on barrels. So you're getting a hit about four out of every five times. Uh, and usually it's extra bases, you know, when you do get a hit like that. So what I like about it, though, you know, if you're really just, you know, I, I like even, you know, as weird as it sounds, I like using barrels even more than I like using home runs because uh, barrel, you're really getting the pureness off the bat. It, it has nothing to do with what stadium you're playing at, what the weather is like. Um it, it's even across the playing field, across all stadiums, across the entire six-month season, and you can see kind of how how players are trending, how how, how well are they doing uh, at the plate, and on the contrast, you can see how uh, what pitchers are are avoiding that that pure contact. Um, uh, I do believe that we've seen enough that there is a correlation that um, pitchers can't control. Uh, the contact that they are allowing, and, and of course, a, a batter can control the the the, the pureness of the, the you know the the ability to hit the ball you know perfectly in, in this what we call barrel level uh, as the season goes. So um, I've seen sustainability, and I've seen some great correlation that if a player is starting to really get barrels, then you're going to start seeing the extra bases come if they're not already coming. Yeah, I really like the way you put that. That that. Barrels give us a better idea of what balls are hit well because obviously a home run ball uh, in the left field porch in Houston and a fly out in center field in Detroit uh, obviously different kind of balls so we we can get a better idea of of which ball was actually struck well and which ball was was a home run maybe because of circumstance so because obviously you can have barrels that are just flyouts like we just saw Hunter Renfro hit a barrel uh, Casey tweeted about it that it was just a flyout I think it was about just shy of 400 feet um, so yeah you, yeah. Get, you get a better idea of of good contact rather than just, I guess, luck in a way. Right. And, you know, I, they're playing at Wrigley. I, I don't know if the wind is blowing in, but if the wind is blowing in, maybe, it, you know, it did. that's what kept that ball in on a different day. It would have gone out. But we know that just with that barrel that Renfro did everything that he could have done pretty much. Uh, he hit it about as pure as possible. He just uh, ran into some misfortune. Yeah, definitely. All right, so now that we have a better idea of, of what actually a barrel is, I want to get into – how you've come to calculate barrel FIP. I mean, you don't have to get too into the nitty gritty, but just, yeah. just a better idea of what you're trying to do with barrel FIP and how you're using barrels to, to better evaluate not just uh, pitchers, but hitters as well. So we'll start with what FIP is. FIP is defined as field independent pitching for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, it came about uh, maybe like a decade ago that uh, some of the analytic guys wanted to really see what a pitcher controls on the mound, and, and, he, and they decided that... Uh, the only three things that a pitcher could truly control are walks, strikeouts, and home runs, which kind of makes sense. It, it's taking the fielders behind them completely out of play. Uh, but just as I explained why I kind of like barrels more than a home run is why I wanted to replace barrels in that formula. Uh, sorry, replace home runs in that formula with barrels. So instead of uh, using the home runs and the coefficients that they use for, for calculating because uh, they – they, they normalize it basically to an ERA level, so um, the numbers would make sense. You know, you know, three FIP is the kind of the you would look at it the same way as a three ERA, and uh, a five FIP is the same as a five ERA. You're not looking at a good pitcher with five FIP. Uh, so, uh, like I said, uh, I replaced, I took out home runs and put in barrels just because I think it's a a little bit more of a, a pure, true representation of what the pitchers are doing. So, uh, and I post the, the leaderboards every morning uh, at robaseball.com, top 25, both in the season, top 25, minus 25 on the season, and I do last 30 days. Uh, I talked about sustainability a little bit earlier, but pitchers do, you know, of course, we've, we've all 
we know baseball pitchers have good months and bad months. So uh, I think it is interesting to look at who is pitching really great for the last month and, and who's pitching poorly as well. And and I've seen some ups and downs already in this season. You know, we're two and a half months in. There's been some guys on the top of the uh, top 25, and then there's, they've fallen all the way to the bottom 25, and vice versa. You know, I'm I'm really fascinated with the whole thing. I mean, I'm relatively new with the analytical thing. I've, I've been slow in, in embracing it. Um, you know, tell me how you, how is this something that's a, more of a math mind that kind of works this way? Or how, how did you go about, you know, developing something like this? I mean, obviously it's not something that it's something that everyone thinks about. Take us into your thought process in, in developing. I mean, obviously measuring a, a pitcher's ability or a hitter's ability and, and whether or not they're making or just are getting hard contact versus them is something that's, it's, you know, it's vital in, in uh, determining a value of a player. But, you know, what kind of, what kind of gravitated you towards formulating this yeah here's what really led to me into it and uh patrick will get a chuckle on this but we 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 had pitching week at ro baseball last year and we we really dove into fip and i believe patrick you're the one who wrote the fip article uh and you mentioned the the uh houston street interview about how he didn't really like fip um he 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 thought the whole thing was kind of a bit of bit of a bull because he he said that a pitcher really does control way more than just a walk and a strikeout and a home run which is true and why i where it kind of hit close to home here you know i'm not a cubs fan but i am a chicagoan and i was watching kyle hendricks a lot last year who was having this phenomenal season but his FIP wasn't really all that he was he wasn't towards the top of the leaderboards in FIP because he's not a big strikeout guy um so what I noticed, though, when I was watching Hendricks is, is he really wasn't allowing hard contact, and he was just keeping the ball on the field. We all know about the Cubs' defense last year that was really, really good and caught anything that was in the field of play, and Hendricks was really taking advantage of that. So I kind of wanted a little bit better of a representation, a statistic that better represented that soft contact that uh, Hendricks was was get, was allowing uh, when he was pitching, you know. Um, so... What barrels is, it's a, it's a bigger population than home runs. Uh, like 60% of all barrels are home runs. So there's still, you know, quite a, a, a bit of batted balls that are, are not just home runs. So I like it that it's, it's a, with the bigger population, you're getting uh, more, uh, you know, more batted balls in, in the, the calculation when you're looking at it from a, a barrel standpoint. Um, and it, it made Hendricks look a lot better because, you know, not only was he not allowing home runs, but the fact that he was not allowing barrels either was making him jump jump higher than uh, a lot of his peers. You know, some of some of those guys, you know, let's say Max Scherzer, for example, you know, he's a fly ball pitcher. He does allow some pretty strong contact. Uh, he's a big strikeout guy as well. So, you know, his FIP always does look good because he has that high strikeout rate. But when you, you look at him with barrel FIP, um that pull, that pulls him down a little bit because he is allowing a little bit more hard contact than you know. Okay. Uh, I, I won't say Kyle Hendricks because he's not having that great of a year, but guys like Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, so that that makes sense. Does that you know? Do you generally see pitchers that attack hitters uh, usually have the high you know the high barrel of it just because they're constantly you know they're not afraid to contact they're not afraid to to pitch the contact if you will and just attacking hitters or you know is it does it favor you know like how would Greg Maddox's uh, Barrel fit look. I I think he would have been really low. So yeah, you know the the barrel portion of the calculation again, not to get really uh, too technical here, but, but that is a higher portion of what's going to drive that number. So 
the guys that are controlling their contact is going to be a little bit more important than the guys that are striking batters out. Um, so, I mean, even looking at the leaderboard right now, the guys that are on the top, I mean, you do still get the strikeout guys. I mean, Chris Sale is doing crazy stuff right now because he's got yeah. a he's got a 35% strikeout rate, but he's only allowing 3.3% barrels as well. I mean, he's doing it all yeah. across the board. Um, yeah. Now, let's look at a guy like, this is a that kind of a personal favorite, Jimmy Nelson. You know, this kind of this no-name guy who's on the Milwaukee Brewers having this really great year, but his ERA isn't that great. He's not on top of the ERA leaderboard, but he's only allowing 2.5% barrel rate. So even if you want to put him side by side with Chris Sale, I mean, guys are just not hitting him hard. And he's striking out uh, 24% of batters, which is nothing to sneeze at, but that 2.5%, he is uh, seventh in all of baseball. Jimmy Nelson on the Milwaukee Brewers, who, you know, I I don't know if a lot of your everyday fans know who that guy is. Yeah, I actually just shouted him out uh, earlier in our podcast when me and James were talking because yeah. he, he just shut down the Padres yesterday. So, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's we got, right. We, <laughs> yeah, we got ten, some ten strikeout day. He really helped him. Yeah, yeah good segue there. Uh, we got a good firsthand yeah. experience there. Um, yeah. I wanted your thoughts on. I want to talk about some Padre guys. Um, I know you have you keep you sometimes keep lists for for different teams. I know you post them here and there. Um, I, I remember I asked you to to get your Padre barrel fit numbers uh, at the ready. So. I kind of wanted to get a little, uh, maybe evaluation of how the Padres are doing in terms of this, maybe the, the starting staff to begin with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's looking a lot better since uh, Jared Weaver is no longer pitching every fifth day. <laughs> what, uh, what was his barrel he, fit, by the way? Do you, do you have that on yes. hand? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, it was 6.57. So uh, to, to put that in perspective, right now, uh, he actually fell off the bottom 25 leaderboard because I do set a mi- uh, inning minimum. So uh-huh. uh, I-, I was looking at that before I got on. There are no Padres on the bottom 25, so that is a good place to start. That uh, none of the I don't know. It could just be because they don't they haven't reached the inning yeah, limit, that, that uh, you know, it. minimum. Because <laughs> there's not a whole lot of uh, you know guys in your starting rotation that have uh, you know pitched throughout the season, but. Uh, the low, the sorry, the highest uh, barrel fit right now in baseball uh, of qualified pitchers is Kevin Gausman on Baltimore with a six point two two. So, if Jared Weaver was hitting the minimums, uh, yeah, he'd be topping the worst pitcher in baseball. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, it's been a lot better since he uh, has uh, kind of uh, vacated that spot. Um, let's look at some of your other guys, uh, Clayton Richard, who's on the mound as uh, we were watching tonight. 4.06. So, I mean, that's about average. Um, I think that that would be about in like the 30s uh, in all of baseball. So, not too, too bad. I'm curious uh, where uh, Luis Perdomo sits. I know he's a guy that's got a lot of ground balls. He's done a pretty good job of limiting some hard contact. Perdomo is at 4.33. So, hmm. actually, Richard and Perdomo both about the same exact barrel percent. Um, but, uh, Perdomo, you know, walk rate a little bit higher than uh, Clayton's. Um, yeah. You know, Richard obviously doesn't really walk all that m- many betters. And Perdomo's 9.2 walk percentage isn't, you know, horrible. Uh, you know, that's right around league average. But uh, both of those guys are right, you know, right there in the, you know, in the middle of the pack. Uh, Chassin, same exact thing. Uh, he's just a little bit lower, four point. Actually, Wow. Uh, Perdomo and Chassin are uh, about, let's call it a tie. Um, so, <laughs> you know, they're, they're both at 4.33 as I look at it right now. Um, Lamette, uh, uh, 4.6. No, sorry. Uh, I'm reading the wrong line here. 5.37. So he, he's he's been pulling it down a little bit. Um, 
ha- hasn't had the uh, a, a great debut so far. Nine points. He uh, yeah he he leads the team here. He's he was uh, even he's even higher than uh, Weaver at uh, just the barrel percent alone. So he's allowing just barrels alone at a nine point three five percent. So that's even killing wow. his nearly thirty five percent K rate. I didn't even realize he was doing that great. But um, stuck out twelve you know. on Saturday. Yeah. So um, I. What I would say, just offhand, I haven't watched a whole lot of uh, Lamette, but he's probably just staying in the zone. And you guys could probably back, up, you know, go off this, but he's probably just, you know, saying, uh, "Here it is, try to hit it." And yeah, uh, some guys that, are hitting it, and some guys are missing yeah. it. I think yeah. that's exactly it. He, he comes with that reputa- reputation of being a confident pitcher that just kind of wants to just throw the ball by people. And I mean, that the stat speaks to volumes as far as I mean, that's what he's doing. He's He's getting strikeouts, but he's getting hit uh, pretty hard every once in a while, too, as well. Uh, Casey, I wanted to ask you, um, if anything goes into small sample size with regards to barrel flip, I know Lamette's had only, what, 20-something innings this year. So is there any – do you make any adjustment for small sample size? Or have you figured out – I guess have you figured out any way to, to decide when this starts to stabilize? I know every stat has a, a certain plate appearance number or batter's face number where it stabilizes. Have you done any research on that or figured out – yeah, very, very, yeah, very, very little. Uh, you know, I did season numbers last year at a whole, but I did it in the off season. I didn't get into it as much as I've gotten into the day to day as I have this year. Uh, I'm, I've liked to pick out like 25 innings uh, segments uh, as trying to look at how long that's sustainable. When I do my 30 day leaderboards, that's the minimum I use for that. Um, so that's you know, about four or five starts. You kind of want to look at those chunks and, and uh, you know, not to look too too much smaller than that. But, uh, like, I mean, Lamette just, yeah, 24 innings. So he's about right at that mark. Um, of course, you know, he's a, a young guy and trying to figure out the big leagues and everything. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't say he's doomed or anything, especially, I mean, that 35% strikeout rate is going to catch some eyes. So um, he's just got to, uh, you know, start missing more bats than he is, um, you know, for obviously for him to be able to, to uh, be a big league pitcher, yeah, for sure. You know, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit offensively how the Padres look okay. um, with with your stat. And, and there's there's got to be some silver lining in this in this Padres season, right? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> you know, across the board, I throw you under. I throw you under the bus there. <laughs> no, no, no. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here. Um, so. <laughs> This morning, I was actually playing around with a uh, guy on Twitter said, he mentioned something to me about, you know, I always post out, you know, I tweet out uh, the highest uh, barrel leaders and the barrel percent leaders. I like looking at it from a, a plate appearance, uh, per plate appearance level. And uh, somebody said, well, you know, you're really kind of knocking down the guys who walk a lot. You know, the, obviously, if you're walking 10% of the time, that's 10% less of your plate appearances that you even are giving yourself an opportunity for barreling. But... Uh, you know, if you're walking a lot, that's good as well. So I did a leaderboard com- combining barrel percentage and walk percentage, and uh, I did the top 25, and then I was po- posting some numbers about where each team fell, where the, each team had their highest guy, and uh, the Padres were, I believe, yeah, they had the lowest leader of all of baseball. So, and that was uh, Hunter uh, Renfro. So uh, Patrick mentioned he just hit his he just hit his 20th barrel, which uh, he was the 31st player this season to get 20 barrels. So, um, you know, it, it's 
it's it's good, of course, with a young guy. You you do want to see that. I mean, we're not going to be you know uh, you know uh, complaining about him. Seven uh, percent barrel rate. So about the average. Just to throw that out, I haven't done it. Uh, league wide, it's about four point two five percent of plate appearances are barrels. So if you got a guy uh, above that four percent, four point five percent, you're doing pretty good. Um, but even like a Chris Bryant is only in the fives. So Hunter Renfro's is at about seven right now. So that's good. Um, Will Myers is right around that five mark. Um, uh, Austin Hedges was six point five. Um, Ryan Schiff, who I do I do want to ask you guys a question. He was at seven, of course. Uh, he comes with his own resume. Uh, of course, uh, played you know small sample size, but uh, it looks like you're the leader on the team right now. Is, is uh, the wonderfully named Franchi Cordero? Um, of course, he only had 150 plate appearances, but he's at 8.1 percent. Yes, the French man. <laughs> That's what I call him. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, I so, wanted... Shimp, I want. To get, let me ask you guys about Shimp. I mean, what is the, the what is the reasoning behind him being sent down? And I guess are you guys a fan of it? Um, here, let me. I gotta pull up the stats. I'll let I'll let James talk about him for a minute while I'm pulling that up. I know he's such a weird player, but. Yeah, he sure. is a weird player. I think you know the the Padres are just loaded with second basemen at this point. Okay. I mean, I, I think they wanted to see Spangenberg and, and get a little more of an opportunity to see him play every day and, and see what he has since he is younger and possibly has a little more trade value. Uh, you know, Shimp. You know, he did hit the home runs, but there'd be games where he would just go zero for four with four strikeouts and just not even take the the that off his off his uh shoulder so it, it's it was frustrating to watch i'm sure but you know i i i can't i can't say what aj probably was thinking i mean you know the we desperately need left-handed power so i, I think it was more just along the lines that they just had too many second basemen at this point i mean aswahi's down in triple a and he hasn't even had a, a real shot at, at getting an opportunity to play uh at the major league level and, and he's deserving as well yeah, so yeah, like James said, they had a lot of guys that that needed, I guess you could say, playing time. Um, I'll, I'll just say from May 26th to June 8th, which June 8th was his last game before he was demoted, he struck out. Uh, let's see, five, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen, sixteen. He struck out sixteen times in probably about I don't know twenty five at bats. <laughs> yeah, I think that says about all you need to know. I mean, he had he had a couple home runs during that time. I think he had two home runs. But he, I think he had like four hits, and two of those were home runs, and he struck out 16 times. So uh, the, the last couple games, he had three strikeouts, two strikeouts, three strikeouts. So <laughs> it, w- it was getting kind of bad there at the end. He was he was about his three true outcome, I think, as any player in the league at this point. He was either striking I out. I believe, yeah, he was. He was either striking was... out or hitting a home run. Um, I think he actually, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think he still has more home runs than singles, which is really hard to do as a major mm-hmm. league baseball player. I think... I think Barry Bonds might have done that when he hit 73 home runs because was he really going to hit 74 singles? Uh, but for a guy like Shimp, who I think he had like 15 home runs when he was sent down, um, just, just wasn't a good recipe for success anymore. And they needed to pull the plug and, and give Corey Spangenberg some time. Some time. And Corey Spangenberg has ran with it. I mean, he's running, I think, a 160 WRC plus this month. So um, that's oh, nice. looking like a good move so far. And Shimp's actually been doing pretty well in my leagues. I think he had three or four hits last night. Um, he's hit hit like four or five home runs already, so maybe he can get it together and pick it up, and and we'll see how it works out. Um, I wanted to move off of uh, Shimp. I want to talk a little bullpen. Uh, 
I want to talk yeah. Brandon. I want to talk Brandon Maurer and how how he shows up in your fit, in your uh, barrel fit. He's gotten a little bit of a bad rap in San Diego, I think. Some people are already kind of fed up with him as a closer. He's <laughs> he's running a six fifty one ERA with a three twenty seven FIP, so he's got about almost a three and a half run difference between ERA and FIP, which is is pretty hard to do. Um, if I'm not mistaken, last time I checked, I think he had the biggest gap between those two. I'm not sure if that still stands. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on him and, and where he sits on your leaderboards. Well, get this, my gap is even bigger. I have wow. him at a three point oh five barrel FIP. Wow. So the reasoning <clears throat> the reasoning for that is uh, so the three home runs that he, you know are part of the FIP calculation are the, his three barrels, and he doesn't have any more. So, um, like I mentioned before, there only sixty percent of bar- the the barrel population are home runs. So it really just seems like those are the three, you know, big dings on him in his, uh, you know, 28 innings of work. Um, and that's what will drive the barrel FIP even lower than his regular FIP. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just looking at his peripherals from a closer standpoint. 24% strikeout rate, not going to be among the big leaders, but it's not horrible. 5% walk rate I think isn't the bad. I think the BABIP is the concern. I mean, he, he ran a BABIP under 300 last year. He's at 342 currently, so... That's not going to get that's, the job done. That's some bad. That's some bad luck. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, I, I, I will. You know, give. I, I do. You know, I, I will. Uh, you know, raise the barrel flag all across the nation. But it's not. <laughs> it's not the end all be all here. Uh, you know, it, there there are other. Uh, you know, there there are other forms of hard contact that are just uh, included in the the barrel population. So, uh, you know, I'm not looking at all of that here. I mean, you guys would know watching it from day to day, but. I like using barrels just as a predictor, and it's a pretty good predictor. I really actually um, – one of the, uh, the things that I like looking at are relievers um, is because when a reliever goes out there, he usually only has one job, and that's to strike a guy out. Uh, you don't want to walk when you're coming in a reliever, you know, especially in the, the, middle of the, the guys that come in in the middle of the inning. But closers as well, you don't want to open up the inning with a leadoff walk, but – you know, when these bullpen guys are called upon, they want to get a strikeout, and they certainly don't want to allow hard contact. So I like um, looking at the relievers from the barrel flip. I do think our sample size is still a little bit low. Now we're starting to get some relievers in that 25, 30 inning uh, set, uh, population that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So I think these numbers are getting a little bit more trustworthy, but... Um, uh, as the season goes, uh, I, I'm going to continue to shoot out these numbers. It's why I haven't so far this season, though, is because below 25 innings, I think, is a little bit hard to uh, to grasp. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at I'm looking at Maurer's stats right now, he's he's 15th in the league in, in walk rate. He's actually cut his walk rate by over two percent from last year, so he's walking less batters. Um, his BABIP is the 26th highest of any reliever. Um, so yeah, the numbers look good. Um, I guess underneath the surface a little bit, obviously his home run rates a little high, just shy of one. Um, but outside of that, I mean, he's been pretty solid, um, outside of a couple blowups. So I'm interested to see how he progresses as the year goes on and, and whether they see him as a trade chip or whether other teams see him as a guy they want to acquire. James. Yeah, I mean, he has he has value. I mean, he, there's no doubt about it. And he's still relatively young. I mean, he, he had a, an issue with his mechanics earlier this year that the Darren Balsley and uh, Doug Buckler seemed to fix his velocities up a little bit. You know, his splits from home and away are, are really off. And there's been times where it just looks like he's tipping his pitches. I know a lot of people have, have mentioned that on on Twitter and stuff. And you know, 
I don't know what it is about him. He really is an enigma. You, you've written about him before, Patrick. I, I have no explanation for for what's wrong with uh, Brandon Maurer. I mean, he has all the talent in the world, but obviously that's not you know that's not all it, it, it need. That's all that's not all that's needed in order to succeed in this game. I mean, it's a tough game, and and a lot of it uh, is mental. So I don't know if that's an issue with him. See, I would argue that there's nothing really wrong with him. I think it's just. A bit of bad luck with the BABIP and a bit of circumstance. Um, I mean, the peripheral <clears> numbers <throat> have been better than last year. I mean, his strikeout rate has fallen slightly from last year, but the walk rate's down, and I, he's had some more success. He's throwing harder than ever before. So I'm optimistic that he can put together a strong second half and be be a solid closer if he stays in that role. Yeah, um, he, he should be able to for sure. All right, Casey, I wanted to ask you one more question about the Padres' bullpen while I'm at it. Um, let's talk about Brad Hand. He's the the big uh, the big item in town. He's he's the hot ticket trade piece. If you wanna wanna go there, but uh, I kind of wanted your thoughts on on where he's at uh, on your leaderboards. So he's just a tick below Montmar. Um, so he's at three point oh two uh, barrel FIP. Uh, he's uh, they're about exactly the same uh, barrel percentage. Had Hand has allowed four barrels on his four home runs. So both of these guys. You know, the fact that their only barrels allowed are the home runs, uh, you know, is interesting because, uh, you know, it, it doesn't go one for one all the time. But, uh, you know, those guys, it really just seems like they, the, the, the few times that they've allowed that hard contact, it's really bit them because it's gone over the wall. Uh, is that I, a, do you think you know, that's a good sign that, that a pitcher has only given up barrels on home runs? Like, do you have any other stats on any other guys that have that similar case? I, I think it is a good sign, Patrick. I think because that should start to regress. Now, it's I, I'll say that hesitantly, though, because you know when they are allowing home runs, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, they could have been gigantic bombs, and mm-hmm. then it's not really that great. Um, you know, if they are, I guess you know towards the 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 minimum part of this this barrel spectrum that we talk about. Um, that those should uh, start to regress towards a the, the mean that I said that only sixty percent of barrels are home runs. Uh, but it's 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 certainly interesting. Again, only in twenty five innings. But uh, what I what I find most interesting about it is uh, I, I don't have again the exact specific numbers in front of me. But uh, presumably some of these have been at Petco, and you would think some of those would stay in as well. So um, I, I do you know I guess. If I were to make a gamble, I would say that those numbers would even get better. But both these guys are, you know, top of, uh, you know, the bullpen leaders, you know, right uh, about at the three uh, mark. Um, I I wanted to bring up one thing um, that you guys would be pretty interested in. You know, I keep the just team bullpen barrel fit uh, as a collective uh, as well. Um, And the Potters don't do that bad. Um, They are, let's see here. Uh, 13th um, in the league. So um, right a little bit above uh, average. Uh, so, you know, I think you guys knew, uh, at least my thought was, you know, yeah. heading into the season, the Padres' strength was going to be that bullpen and the hopes and prayers for A.J. Preller was going to be to sell some of those guys off and, and you know, continue the rebuild going on. Um, you know, I don't think I've said anything too, too surprising about uh, the hitters and the pitchers not really jumping off the page, but uh, the, the these bullpen guys are, are the assets and uh, they've done everything um, at least from my perspective, that they should be doing, and 
I would think that the uh, the other 29 MLB teams are looking at numbers uh, similar to mine and uh, are probably starting to chop at the bit for at least the two guys that we just focused on. Yeah, I think both yeah. guys are um, definitely hot ticket items. Um, I actually pulled up his barrel numbers because we were talking about him. He's given up four barrels. Um, one ball was to Mark Reynolds, home run, 104 miles an hour off the bat, 417 feet. Um, there was that one in Texas to Mike Napoli that went... 450 feet that was crushed 110 miles an hour off the bat that was probably his worst moment uh and then keon broxton had one just over the weekend that was hit 103 miles an hour just just under 400 feet so yeah i mean other than the napoli home run i mean that was the real big one i think the other two were, were well hit balls but i mean they weren't i wouldn't be too concerned that he's given up like mammoth home runs you know for sure yeah, that's the way to look at it. You know, I, I like looking at it, you know, with the barrel numbers. You want to look at it, I guess, uh, you know, when the guys are not having uh, great luck. It works a little bit, you know, for regression-wise for, for hitters. If, I, you know, Kyle Schwarber is the talk of, you know, really all of baseball. But he's hitting all these barrels. He's just – he's got a 179 batting average. When you look at it from that perspective, I do think that that average was going to rise, and I'm just using him as an example because he's hitting it hard, because he's hitting a lot of balls that fall into this spectrum. Uh, I do would expect uh, the balls to f- eventually fall in. When we're looking at something like hand and talking about just the four barrels going for four home runs, it's a little bit harder to look for, uh, coming from the other way. But, uh, you know, it, it's a small sample, and uh, we're going to continue to look at it. But these guys, uh, you know, rank among the top league leaders, and I think that that's, uh, you know, important. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating to get a you know a new aspect, a new way of measuring talent and the measuring of uh, Padre talent specifically that we're talking about. It's yeah, you know, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head that a lot of teams are looking at the Padres relievers, uh, Maurer and Hand in particular, as undervalued uh, commodities that they can, you know, I don't want to say steal away from the Padres, but they can get at, at a lesser value than they would have to pay for, you know what what the uh, you know the Indians paid for Andrew Miller last year. I mean, I'm not comparing Brad Hand to that, but you know his numbers are comparable. You know, it's not the same type of pitcher, but it's nice that uh you know that you've developed a type of system that can be recognized and, and can help uh evaluate talent and you know we're we're really really happy to have you on the show, Casey, but I cannot let you go without talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> so the one who got away. <laughs> the one so you know, you, obviously you're a White Sox fan. You know, can you explain to me what it was in what what is it in, in his farm in in the White Sox farm system between his stop in in the White Sox farm system and the Padres farm system that kind of he developed? I mean, obviously you guys highly favored him. I mean, we don't want to bring up James Shields. I mean, you had high expectations for him, but I don't think that you guys envisioned him to develop like he is. And, and you know, let's talk about about Tatis a little bit. I think it was just he was so young. Uh, I mean, he, obviously, he's still <laughs> so young. Yeah. Uh, and, and with the, those international guys, you just don't really even know. I mean, the White Sox just kind of, I guess, in a way, replaced uh, Fernando Tatis with Louis Robert. Or uh, Robert, I, I believe, is how they're pronouncing it. Sorry. Um, but, I think you know, it's Louis but, Robert, actually. Yeah. <laughs> About as white of a name a, as you could possibly have. It is a, right Americanized, now. yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's the you know the same risk. These guys are yeah. whatever, 16, 17 years old, coming in from a completely different system, and it's a big risk that you're going on profiles and athleticism. Uh, I remember even when 
I mean, Tatis was the throw away. Uh, he wasn't even, you know, the the top guy on in that trade. It was Eric Johnson. You yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> and Eric Johnson was this guy that was thought of as he was thought of as a big prospect for the White Sox for many many years, and he finally Didn't... sort of got a place in the rotation uh, just last year, right before they traded him for Shields. I think he got um, Tommy John, right? I, we haven't heard from him in a while. I'm pretty sure that's yes, what happened. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he got a couple starts for San Diego, and then, yeah, yeah. he got, had a good time gone. But Tatis was just his throwaway. And I, I remember reading the, the trade recaps from you know the, the guys who knew what they were talking about, and they said, if this guy comes back to bite us, it will be kind of like an OL situation. And uh, I don't, you know, no one in their wildest dreams would have thought that it would have happened this fast. Uh, I don't know, you know, the... the the White Sox have had a long, long history of doing poorly with, uh, you know, maturing their position bats. Uh, it's been a long, long time since the White Sox had uh, a homegrown position player really succeed. Um, and there's, of course, been uh, criticism of, of what exactly their, you know, their coaching, what is their coaching process, you know, up and down the minor leagues. And this seems like, a you know, another scar on, on that system. It has changed the last couple of years. And of course, uh, the entire farm system has changed uh, over the offseason. And now, you know, they are seeing, uh, you know, better production. But a lot of that was, you know, you can't call Yohan Mankata a homegrown guy because he, he's He's not. He, he was he was uh, matured in the Boston system, and now he's succeeding in Chicago. So, you know, the, the White Sox can't really take credit for a guy like that. So, uh, yeah, it looks really bad, especially if Tatis does become something uh, really big. But um, I guess with the way that the system is, it's very, very easy to kind of just uh, say, oh, well, because uh, the system looks pretty good uh, even without Tatis. I actually, yeah. uh, I actually want to play devil's advocate here and come to the uh, White Sox defense. Um, when yeah. Tatis was traded, he was 17 years old. Um, he was a skinny guy. Uh, I think he gained about 30 or 40 pounds. He's now 18 years old, for what it's worth. So he, he gained a, a significant amount of weight uh, in the off season. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's fair, I, I completely fair, to, to bash them outright for that trade. I mean, he wasn't really doing much um, in their system at that time, maybe you, maybe yeah. they had, could have had better, I guess, foresight to project what he could be with some size. But now that he's gained size. He's he's hitting mammoth home runs. He's got a lot of pop. Um, that's not something he had when he was 150 pounds. Now he's up to I think 190 pounds. He's six three. I think he actually grew a couple inches as well. So he's a guy who's still growing into his body. I mean, his dad is a monster. Yeah. Fernando Tatis is huge. So. Uh, he's a guy who could get even bigger, and there's talk that he might move off a of shortstop because of the size, but that remains to be seen. He's got a crisp glove uh, as it stands. So I, I think it's fair that they made that trade. I mean, obviously it looks awful in hindsight, but the Potters have made plenty of those trades. So, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it certainly happens, especially with guys that young. Yeah, you know, and you guys should really bring up the money that the Potters are paying for Shields for the next two years too because that's definitely uh... – uh, well important it. part of the deal as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but when you're, you're talking about twenty million dollars. That's uh, that's not a uh, nothing to sneeze at for sure. Not at all. Um, okay, well, Casey, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on and and bearing with us and talking about Padre baseball for us with a little bit for a little bit. It's not the most appealing of of uh, of topics to talk about among baseball fans, but uh, it is what it is. Not a problem at all. I was hoping uh, you guys would go 4-0 against the Cubs today, but uh, it's getting dire here. 
Yeah, you don't ever don't ever count on the Friars. At least at least not until 2020. <laughs> yeah, we'll call you in three years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Thank White, you, so- White Sox Padres World Series in 2020. I'm about it. There we go. There we go. Yohan Mancata versus Fernando Tatis. <laughs> <laughs> be a great showdown. That'd be fun to watch. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Casey. Have a great one. Thank you, guys. Take care, Casey. Better, Patrick. All right, that All right, was, folks, that was so, Casey Bogoslaw. <laughs> go ahead, take us out, man. All right, that was that was the incomparable Casey Bogoslaw. Um, obviously, he's doing <laughs> great things with the barrel fip. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, one one of the I guess outside of James, one of the first people I really met uh, in the baseball writing industry. I guess the blogosphere, if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> always great to talk to Casey. Me and him used to have a podcast. He, he still does the RO Baseball podcast. Uh, I am no longer his his co-host. Um, but yeah, he still does the podcast. Does great work there. Um, worth a listen. Subscribe to him on iTunes. Uh, while I'm talking about it, subscribe to us on iTunes. We are uh, on there. We're hosted on Podbean. Uh, we're all over Twitter. James is EBT underscore News. EBT underscore J Clark. Um, I'm on Twitter. Patrick Brew ninety three. Our podcast is on Twitter. We have lots of Twitters. Give us a follow on all of them. Uh, shout us out. Let us know what you think. Um, give us a review on iTunes. That's greatly appreciated. All that good stuff. Yep. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Uh, episode 44 of the East Village Times podcast, uh, sponsored by Original Grain Watches, is uh, is out of here. Thank you so much. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT podcast. Padres EBT podcast.